Father God, we love you so much, Lord, and we just thank you that we can be here this morning as a family, that we can unite, we can gather, we can come into the same room and declare these truths that we just spent the last few minutes declaring that, Jesus, you really are better than everything. And this morning, Father, we lift up the Canaveral Port Ministry, those that are leading and serving uh, in that ministry, Father, that you would just give them a passion to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you that it's a ministry that brings the nations to us. God, you've given us a heart to go out and share the good news with the world. And that's a ministry where the world's coming. And I just pray, Father, a blessing over them that as people show up, they're able to be ready with the gospel of Jesus, the hope of salvation that only Jesus could bring. And so would you bless them, bless their ministry, Father, and these upcoming events that they have. Would you just put your fingerprints all over it? Father, would you bless our time in the word this morning as we open up uh, just the truth of scripture? Would you speak to us? Could we hear your word, Father? Would you just be present with us and open our hearts and minds to the things you want us to be able to walk out of this room this morning knowing more about you? Help us to be able to leave here different today. We love you, and it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to continue in our series that Pastor Titus has been walking us through in the book of Mark. And I think it's awesome that I get to plug into the series and the passage that we're talking about pigs. And it's the week before the barbecue. So I'm going to do a shameless plug right now. Titus literally tossed this one up for me to get an ace. But uh, don't forget, there's a barbecue next week. And as we talk about pigs, think of pulled pork. Right? Think of those juicy ribs that we're going to make and come support our students next week after church. You can buy tickets online uh, today or at the, at the counter out uh, as you walk out. But come support our students and just have some time of fellowship and food with us next week. Um, so we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 this morning if you want to open up there with me. Mark chapter 5 verses 1 to 20 is what we're looking at. And as we continue with this series, I'll just remind you, Pastor Mark Lewis last week did an awesome job just talking about how the disciples, as they made their way across the Sea of Galilee and this storm rose up, and it was this moment of violence, right? Waves and storm and lightning, and as they're there, Jesus is lying in the boat asleep, and they're like, Jesus, don't you even care that we're about to perish, And I think it's interesting that they entered that moment coming across the sea because just before that, we see Jesus teaching them. And these teachings were about faith and his kingdom and and lots of truths that they could take and they could apply to their lives. But then all of a sudden, there's this moment where Jesus is like, we're going right now. The day is over. Jump in the boat. Leave my cloak behind. Leave a pillow behind. We're not having dinner. We're not spending the night in a hotel first and then going the next morning. We got to go. And they jump into this boat, and it was for a reason to be able to take all of those things that he had just taught them and give them an opportunity in real time to live them out. Yeah, you heard what faith was. You heard about my kingdom, but now you get a chance in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the sea, to be able to actually live out those truths and trust me. What an awesome opportunity to not just hear, but to be able to live it out. And then as they go... They get through, Jesus obviously calms the storm, and they get to the other side, and now they're setting foot on the other side. And that's where our passage picks up with this morning. It says this in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. 
For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there in the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is an unbelievable moment. Coming across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus must have already known in his mind the moment that would take place as he stepped foot out of this boat. This isn't just an encounter with a a demon-possessed person. This isn't just another person that represented ministry for Jesus on his daily ministry routine. This was a huge moment. This was a moment where heaven and earth would collide, where a war of epic proportions would take place, and most people wouldn't even see it happen. Here Jesus steps out of the boat in his very presence. The authority that we keep seeing Jesus display over and over throughout this book so far. Over nature, over truth, over the word, and and even over life itself. Jesus steps out and once again displays this unbelievable authority. That Jesus really is greater than everything. And here they are. It says in verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. Now there's something you need to know about this, this area that he steps out on because this is a different place from where they just came from on the other side of the, the lake. They're stepping out into a different culture. They're stepping out into a place that's ruled by Greek culture. We see it all through this passage, pigs being raised. Jews would never raise pigs. They were considered unclean. People running around in cemeteries didn't happen. That was considered unclean. And it says that this was a place that, that was uh, ruled by the Greek. There were 10 independent Greek city-states. It was called the Decapolis. And so there's this completely different feel as they step out of the boat into this place. 
The law wasn't followed here. There were many apostate Jews that had given up on the Jewish ways and traditions and laws that were living here. This was a place that had become blinded to truth. This was a place who had given into a totally different culture. And now Jesus steps out right into the middle of it. It's something unbelievable that he would even do that. The perfect lamb, the holy son of God, steps out into the middle of this darkness. Or many would say, Jesus, you don't belong there. What are you doing there? And Jesus says, this is exactly where I belong. I have come to seek and to save the lost. Where do you think I'm going to find the lost? Verse 2 says, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, just looking even at that phrase <laughs> reminds me of him stepping in the boat. Not only does he have all this ministry going on all day long to the point of exhaustion that they leave at nighttime when he steps into that boat. But the second morning comes and the day arises, he's already stepping back out of the boat into another full day of ministry. Like Jesus was about the kingdom. His life was about the kingdom. His schedule was about the kingdom. It was about making the name of God great. And everything in his life prioritized itself around that. And so my question for a church full of people who would say they believe in Jesus is this this morning. Is that what your life looks like? Is that what your heart longs for? Because to say that we follow Jesus means to say that we actually follow Jesus and our lives model themselves after our Savior, Jesus. And Jesus prioritized everything in his life around the kingdom. And so often I look at my life and it's just not prioritized that way. Church sometimes can get prioritized around the things, the other things of my life. You might know what I mean. You know how that job, all of a sudden, there's all these appointments and meetings and schedules and projects to work on. And so that becomes this gravitational force that everything else revolves around in your life is your work and your finances. Or a busy family life and many things to do and getting kids to soccer practice and lots of hobbies and all of these different things in our lives tend to take priority. And we look at Jesus and from stepping out of the boat to stepping into the boat. From sunup to sundown, his life revolved around this priority, the kingdom of God. And if we say we follow Jesus, I want to invite you to prioritize your life around the kingdom of God. My job will revolve around Jesus. My family will revolve around Jesus. The centerpiece and priority of my schedule and my time and my finances and my very heart will be Jesus. And his kingdom. I know we're like one phrase into this thing, and I'm already preaching, but, but listen, he's going to give us way more, so get ready. And when he, Jesus stepped out of the boat, it says this word, immediately. Jesus has so much authority that even time itself bows before him. How perfectly that was timed out that Jesus would step out of the boat into this divine appointment like this was already scheduled out that he would come in contact with this man. Immediately it says there met him. Here comes this guy that he probably knew already was going to happen before he ever left the other side of the lake. And he's like, come on, forget my cloak, forget my pillow because this dude's going to step out of the cemetery and we got to be there to say hi. And I wonder if I lived my life more like that, what would happen? So that every person that stepped into my life, instead of seeing them in a myriad of different ways that I could see them, I see them through the eyes of Jesus. 
I said, why am I having this conversation right now with this person in front of me? It seems almost too small for us to give it any importance, right? Like I'm walking through a line in Publix. Why is that cashier my cashier? Why am I standing face-to-face with this person who's checking me out, getting my groceries? How often do I stop and go, God, is there something you want me to say here? God, is this person in front of me for a reason? As I go to work and I sit in a cubicle next to whoever is next to me that God placed there, do I realize that God was the one who planned that out and has them sitting there for a reason? And each day I walk by them, how often do I go, God, what is it you want me to say today? How is it you want me to represent you and your kingdom in their life today? Why am I in this moment with these people that you keep bringing in and out of my life? Jesus saw this guy and didn't just see an annoyance. He didn't just see a crazy guy running by and walk the other way. Jesus came specifically to meet this guy knowing that God had a specific reason for them to be brought together in that moment. How would our lives change if we saw everyone that way? Every person you came into contact with, you looked to God and you said, what is it I can do to serve you in this person's life today? How can I love them well today? How can I show them your hope today? How would your life change? How would this church change? How different would our community be if that was the heartbeat of a church that said every person matters? And God has a reason for every person I speak to. It says, there, he, there met him, and then it, it describes from where it says, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So right away, you're like, this is not the dude that you would expect the son of God to stop and talk to, right? This isn't probably someone any of us would sign up and be like, man, I can't wait to go talk to that guy. There's this crazy dude running out of the tombs. He's all bleeding and cut up. He's got chains probably hanging off him, and he's running from the tombs screaming weird things. And Jesus is like, that's exactly who I want to talk to. How often do we make excuses for the people in our lives that aren't like us? That we look at and we're like, man, I can't talk to that person. That's a crazy person. Or, or whatever excuse we might build up in our heads for why we would just walk by. What if the church of God stopped and said every single person, even the crazy ones, get loved by this church? get recognized, get noticed, and they matter. And that's what we see Jesus doing. How do you view those that are unlike you? Those people that God's brought in your life that don't look like you, don't talk like you, don't act like you, don't live in your neighborhood. How do you view those people? Might it be something where you would go before God today and just say, Lord, I have, a, I have an issue. I need you to correct my heart in this and help me to see people with the eyes of Jesus. Verse three says, he lived among the tombs. Now, we said earlier, like, that's not something a good Jew would do. So we're not in a a Jewish land anymore. You don't live among tombs. You don't touch the dead. And so this guy's literally living among the tombs, alone, isolated, by himself. Sin loves to do that. Sin loves to take your life and to enslave you and to separate you from anyone or anything that could lead you to Jesus. It wants you to feel alone and helpless and hopeless. And that's what it's done to this man. He's living alone among the tombs in this cemetery. And it says, and no one could bind him anymore. 
The possession that he had, these demons had given him some sort of power to where they couldn't even control this man anymore. He was the guy that people at night would tuck their kids in bed and they'd be scared of, he was the boogeyman, right? He's the, the, the legend, he was the story, he was the one everyone was afraid of within that town and that area. This was the strong guy, the crazy guy in the tombs that people would tell scary stories about. Not even with a chain, it says, could they bind him? Like even metal wasn't strong enough. It's just for, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. Like this was something that happened over and over again. This guy was consistently being caught, trapped, chained up out there. Imagine what he had gone through. Imagine what he had seen and experienced. But the chains wouldn't hold him, he says, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces and no one had the strength to subdue him. And here comes Jesus. Nobody could, they were right. No man could stand up and control this dude who had these supernatural powers, but they hadn't met Jesus yet. And so Jesus once again can do what no one else can do. Jesus once again has the power and authority that no one else can even compare to. It says night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. That's where this guy was. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Sin doesn't just want to make you feel alone and isolated. Sin wants to literally destroy you. He's cutting himself. He's destroying himself. That is never God. That is never God's voice to say, harm yourself. That is always Satan's voice to say, you're worthless, you're garbage, you're hopeless. You deserve nothing more than just to be destroyed. That is where sin brings us. And here's this man literally cutting himself and screaming out. It reminds me of the worshipers of Baal. And their fury, trying to get their, their altars lit by a false god. And Elijah there, right? Cutting themselves and screaming out. And it didn't work. Only the true God could do it. Over and over, sin tries the same old tricks. And it's always aimed at destroying you. Jesus offers so much, something so much better. Look at verse 6. It says, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Like, I feel like this guy should have just like seen Jesus and taken off the other way, like screaming like a little girl, like I'm out of here, that's Jesus. But it doesn't say he went the other way. It says that he saw him from afar, immediately knew who he was, first of all. What kind of authority you have to have for that? And then he runs to Jesus. Why are you running to the guy that can destroy you with a, a flick of his wrist? Like, how is this happening? And then I think of Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, where it says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This, this demon, these demons knew there was nowhere to run. You couldn't get far enough away from Jesus. And so when they recognize this is the son of the most high God, I'm not running because I can't get away. I may as well go face the music and run to him and beg his mercy. 
That's authority. That's our king. That's our Jesus. And it says, in crying with a loud voice, this is fear, okay? This is a loud voice full of fear. He says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? We see a parallel. The same thing happens back in chapter one when we went through there and Jesus cast a demon out. It was the same situation, this fear of the demon saying, don't, don't torment us. What do you want to do with us? What are your plans? You see, they recognize they don't stand a chance in the face of Jesus. We can do nothing. We are literally powerless at your mercy. Jesus, please just don't torment us. And I think it's interesting that they call him Elion, right? The son of Elion, the most high God. They specifically use that term to show the incomparable authority of Jesus Christ. He says, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Like he's literally even using this name of the most high God as a way to beg mercy to Jesus. Like maybe if I say like, just I'm begging you in the name of your father, that maybe Jesus will be a little bit merciful on me. Because Jesus was saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. He's, he's casting them out. And so they fear what Jesus will do. And look at verse nine, it says, and Jesus asked him, what is your name? I feel like the next logical step would have been a lightning bolt, like, you know, one of those. That's not what happened. What's your name? You see, this is a way to call into the light what's in the darkness. To name something means to take its power away. And so Jesus was, was basically calling out a false identity. He wanted truth to be seen because if the true identity could be seen, then they would recognize who actually has the authority. And so he says, what is your name? And the demons reply, my name is Legion, for we are many. And it's, this is the thing of scary movies right here, right? Like this is, they use this term Legion because it's a military term. It would describe a, a Roman Legion. Interesting that they would use a military term. And you tell me that there's no spiritual warfare happening. This, this isn't literal war happening. Even the way they describe themselves is with these military terms. And a Roman legion had about 6,000 men is the common consensus, but it kind of literally means like thousands of people. We know that because we see there were 2,000 pigs. But let's go with the, the, the Roman uh, version of it of 6,000, all right? You have 6,000 demons Warriors, powerful enough that no one could ever come to match them against one Jesus. Talk about the gates of hell. Talk about a battle, this epic cosmic battle between heaven and earth. Jesus facing off with 6,000 demons and they fall on their faces before him. They don't stand a chance. There's not even a question in the matter that Jesus could destroy them in a heartbeat. That's why Ephesians 6 tells us about the spiritual warfare and encourages us to put on the armor of God because this is a real thing. The kingdom of this world is seeking God's church to destroy his people. 
Are you acknowledging the battle that's happening all around you? That's why it's so important to have Jesus at the center of your life because Jesus is the only one they don't stand a chance against. It says, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. That's a really interesting phrase to me because they just don't want to leave this place. They want to stay here with these people that they have blinded, these people that are basically worshiping them, these people that they have brainwashed, dragged into sin, and they're comfortable in this place. Like, Jesus, don't send us out of here. We like it here. We want to stay in this country. And they'd rather go to the herd of pigs. It says, now a herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. Literally the lowest life form in the Jewish mind was a pig. The dirtiest, filthiest, most unholy thing. And they're saying, just let us stay here. We'll even just live in the pigs if you'll just send us there. And Jesus thought, that's exactly where you belong. And he gave them permission to go into the pigs. And look what happens when they do. The unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. The same tactic that they had on this man who was cutting himself and destroying himself, they get into the pigs and immediately destroy the pigs. That is what sin does. It seeks to destroy us. And why are we so quick to run back to it? Why is it so attractive to us? How is temptation so powerful? To look at Jesus and look at sin, why is that even a choice? Knowing that the end game is always to bring about our destruction. And that's exactly what happens here. These pigs run off. And I think it's interesting that the pigs drowned in the same sea when it was calm. That Jesus had saved the disciples from when it was violent. I wonder what that means in my life. When I truly trust the authority of Jesus, no matter what it looks like, no matter what storms come my way, knowing Jesus has the authority over everything. Heaven and hell have this death match and Jesus wins with flying colors. Verse 14, it says, the herdsmen fled. These guys who are taking care of the pigs, they take off and told it in the city. And in the country, they're like, this is the most unbelievable thing we've ever seen happen. I got to tell people. And so they run out and they start telling people what they just saw Jesus do. This dude who was like the crazy guy who was so powerful that was possessed that did all this crazy stuff is now healed. And then some pigs jump off a cliff. Like, we don't even know what just happened right now, right? And so they're going around and they're telling people and people came to see what had happened. Like, that's an unbelievable story. I got to go see who this Jesus is. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. They're like, I'm seeing it with my own eyes. I know this guy. I saw this guy. I was scared of this guy. My kids have nightmares about this guy. And here he is, cleaned up, clothed, sane, talking. Jesus healed him. Jesus did what no one else could do. And look at what it says about them. It says, they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And here's what they do after hearing the description. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. 
We saw the miracle you did, Jesus. We see this guy, and he's healed, and that's awesome. And that's, that's real cool that you have this authority. But we also saw these pigs that represented someone's livelihood, someone's business, someone's money that puts food on the table. We saw them jumping off a cliff, and we're not too, like, crazy about that. And so what we're gathering here is that when Jesus enters our town and our life, he turns things upside down, and it might get uncomfortable. It might change some things. It might force some sacrifice. We might lose some things over following Jesus. And listen, church, it's no different from us. When you say, Jesus, I want to follow you, expect him to shift your life around a little bit. Expect him to shake some things up in a good way. Expect to follow him and say, Jesus, if I follow you, I know there will be sacrifice involved, but I want you more. You see, when you're standing in the presence of Jesus with all of that authority, you are forced into a decision. There is an unavoidable choice in that moment. Standing face to face with Jesus. You can either do what these guys did and say, Jesus, can you just keep going? Can you just leave me alone? Don't touch my finances and my job and my family. Don't mess these things up. I have life the way I want it right now. It's good the way it is. I'd rather you not touch this. You just, just keep going. Or you can do what the demon-possessed man does here. In verse 18, it says, As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. You can look back at Jesus and say, let's go. Wherever you go, I'm following. Let me go with you. You just transformed my life. You just changed me. You just saved me. You just filled me with hope. There is no one and nothing greater than you. I'm going where you go. And Jesus looks back at the guy. You know what he says? He says, no, you're not. He's like, what? It feels kind of anticlimactic, doesn't it? But he gives him a greater purpose and a greater mission. It's not that he wasn't following Jesus. He was just obeying Jesus. And so what it says here is, He didn't permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. That's the other option. What if we left this place and we started to tell everybody that we know what Jesus has done for us? Any believers in the room? Anybody been changed by the gospel in the room today? You know you have a story Jesus has done so much for you. He's changed your life. He's forgiven your sin. He's given you eternal life. He walks with you. You have so much to tell. Don't hold it in. Don't hold it back. There is a community of people all around us that need to hear about the hope that you get to walk around with every day. Will you take it to them? Will you share it with them? And I'm talking about everybody, not just the ones that are easy to get along with, that smell good, that dress nice. Everybody. The ones that aren't like you, that don't look like they would fit into this church or in these pews. Will you take it to them? Will you share the love of Christ and tell them what he's done in your life and the mercy that he's had on you? Because guess what? We don't deserve it. I stand here a sinner, only, only saved because Jesus looked at me and said, I love you, Rob. You don't deserve salvation and you don't deserve forgiveness, but I'm giving it to you.
That's called grace. And that's what we have. And there's so much he's given us. We have so much that we can share. So as you stand in the presence of Jesus, would you be like this guy? Look at what it says next, what he does. He went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Listen, y'all, this was a dude who was just possessed by at least 2,000 demons. This was a crazy man. This guy was like horrible. And now Jesus looks at him and says, I'm freeing you and you're gonna go right back to the same place and you're gonna undo all the lies that those demons just used you to convince people of. Literally the same man, this man that people probably thought was a waste of time and worthless and we just wish he would just die. Jesus takes him and transforms him in a way where he becomes the first missionary to the Gentiles. <laughs> to the same people. Why is he changing your life? Why is he transforming you? In what ways is he molding you to fit perfectly where he's sent you to go? To minister to those very people that he's sent you to. Have you ever stopped and asked him that? Jesus, how are you knitting me together? How are you forming my life How do you want to take this forgiveness that you've given me and share it with other people? Man, when you do that, the people will marvel. It's hard to hear the story of someone's life change and not be moved. Not see the power of Jesus Christ on them. So my question as we we close up today as you're standing in the presence of the authority of Jesus with this unavoidable choice to make, which will you choose? Jesus, like, just keep walking. Don't change my life. Or will you say, Jesus, I'll go wherever you send me and I will share what you've done in my life. As we look at those two kingdoms, I want to share just real quickly from this passage that the differences between these two kingdoms, these two choices The first one is that Jesus invites us into fellowship when sin seeks to isolate us, keep us among the tombs. Jesus brings us out into the light to have true fellowship. The second one is that Jesus offers us freedom when sin just seeks to enslave us and to hold us down with addiction and hopelessness and doubt. Jesus brings us healing when sin just seeks to destroy us. Night and day among the tombs, crying out, cutting himself is what this guy was doing. Number four, Jesus holds all authority when sin stands powerless before him. Which one will you choose? And finally, Jesus offers us a brand new identity when sin seeks to hold us in darkness and confusion. Listen, we live in a world that is so confused when it comes to identity. That is Satan's oldest trick in the book. And you have the answer. You have the answer living and abiding inside of you. Don't hold it in. Which one will you choose today? Will you bow your heads with me? Father God, thank you that you care enough about us, Jesus, 
to define who we are through your grace and your mercy that I don't have to try to forge out my identity on my own, but I can look to Jesus who has already spoken over me, has already extended forgiveness. His blood has already washed away my sin. And thank you, Jesus, that that's who I am. That I can stand in your power this morning. That whatever any of us are facing in this room this morning, God, you're bigger. You're stronger. The hopelessness, the doubts, the hurting, the family conflict, the disease, the sickness, whatever stands in our way, Jesus, you have the authority over it all. Heaven met earth. Battle was done and you won. And we get to stand in your victory this morning. And so Jesus, I pray that if there are those this morning who are battling hurt, maybe those that don't know you as their savior, that at the close of this service this morning, that they would come pray with one of our pastors and decision counselors, that no one would leave here this morning not knowing for sure that Jesus Christ is their king. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray.